You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. You like the Drake? I love the Drake. Welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake. We will start with Tim's origin and then make our way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that went 183 issues. So sit back, relax, and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and this podcast is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin, whom is celebrating 75 years this year in the month of April when this episode, knock on wood, comes out probably in the last week of April. And more importantly, this is the month that uh, the Robin character was created in the pages of Detective Comics. And Robin doesn't look a day over 16 years old, maybe 13 since our Damien's a Robin right now. But uh, this is Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. But technically, it's Dick Grayson's 75th anniversary, but Robin as a whole. And I have a special guest tonight, and we're going to be talking about Tim Drake. But let me introduce my guest. Uh, returning back to the show is Terrence O'Neill. How are you doing, sir? Oops, sorry. <laughs> I had muted my mic there for a second because I wanted to make sure it was recording. But yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you. Sorry about that, Rob. Uh, yeah, thanks so much. Um, and uh, I was I was glad when you sent me that text um, showing me the the Robin Annual because I remember that comic uh, really vividly and uh, definitely love that cover. Um, and uh, it was actually kind of interesting reading it. Um, now in 2015 in a, a post 9-11 world how how different things were back then but uh yeah so thanks for having me on i appreciate it um we'll get to the uh comic i do want to say that uh i have this is the first i've ever read uh this issue i was not aware um that there was a robin annual one i wondered when the robin uh, main series started why the annual started with two and i'm like why is there only an annual for why, why is it a, a second annual I didn't realize that they were counting Robin 1 and Robin 2 the miniseries um, and before uh, Robin 3 started that uh, they threw an annual in there with the whole you know Calypso thing that was kind of going through DC so it wasn't until last summer I was going through a comic book shop and I saw this there and I had heard about this Anarchy uh, annual, and I kept going through all my annuals going, I don't have this issue. And uh, there it was sitting in front of me for uh, 45 cents. So I, oh, wow. I picked it up. So it was just in this last uh, week uh, getting uh, ready for this uh, episode with you that I actually read it for the very first time. So uh, I wish I could remember fondly from 20-some-odd uh, years ago and go, oh, I remember reading this. I I did not know it existed, so I'm glad to add it to my uh, collection. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely remember the whole Eclipso line. And I actually remember buying it thinking it's so weird that Robin has an annual before he actually has a series. Because I think when this came out, it was kind of in the works or people kind of knew that Robin would be getting a series at some point. I think it was, you know, uh, whatever that lead time was. So it was kind of a, a weird thing. Yeah, and I don't know of any other uh, comic book characters that received. I don't think Kyle Rayner, uh, well, I'm thinking Kyle Rayner, the Green Lantern title was already going on. I think that answers my question. I don't think another DC character has ever had an annual and not had their own ongoing book. I'm sure somebody out there on the internet world can point that out and go, well, Rob, actually, uh, (laughs) the Ray had (laughs) an annual, but... uh, I thought that was really uh, odd that they would choose to do that. So like you said, it was probably definitely in the works, and the thing that would come out next would be Robin 3, which is coming up in the next episode of Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, but we'll save that for next episode. You know, um, just piggybacking on what you said there, I think Lobo might have had an annual before his regular series, because he had a million miniseries, but I'm not 100% sure on that, and uh, if there is it's not too many characters that had a, an annual and i think it kind of shows how popular robin especially tim drake robin was right there at that time that they were just trying to you know any way they could get another robin title or a robin out there or put him on a cover i think he was on a superman tie-in at one point and stuff so they were they were realizing his popularity um and I actually think, I know we'll get to the review of it. I, you can kind of tell I think this annual was a little rushed. It was a little, it wasn't as, uh, you know, flushed out and um, like a part of continuity as, as well, much as it was sort of like a standalone kind of, let's, let's get this, let's turn this thing out kind of story. Yeah, and I'm flipping through the book right now, and I want to say it's 56 pages, 60, what is it? F- 54 pages long. And I remember thinking, wow, this is really thick. And it read a lot faster than, uh, you know, if this was something 54 pages today, probably it would have been 15 bucks. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, Yeah, and like, like 12 that. pages, just like a crazy dinosaur on a rampage. Just not a lot of dialogue, just <laughs> dinosaur eating a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, if it was written today, like Scott Snyder, and this was 54 pages, there'd be so much dialogue. This would have been a two- or three-day read. But And I'm not knocking uh, Alan Grant. I, I think he told a, a pretty good story for the length of time that he had um, to write the book. But, you know, it was a it was an easy read. Uh, before we get into that, this is where I'd say, you know, welcome to the show, and I'll play some cool music to get us in there. Um I don't know about you, but today started off uh, really good, and then today got really great, and then awesome at the end. I uh, woke up this morning, get ready for work, and a friend of mine said, "Oh, I'm sure you've seen this already," and had a picture of the Ben Affleck bat suit, and I was like, "Oh, you know, I've seen that before," and I started looking at it again, and I'm like, oh, it "Looks a little more colorized. Like it looks like it's in a vault." And uh, what we received today was a 22-second, or not even that long, it's probably like 12 seconds, of the first official like teaser, teaser trailer for uh, Batman v Superman. Um, and actually what I've uh, found out from, you know, kind of going through the internet, that the only actual new footage is the footage of uh, the 
Ben Affleck Batman suit, the image of Superman is just a recolorized version uh, from a scene in The Man of Steel. So I thought, well, that's cool. We actually get to see the bat suit, and we can tell that it's black and gray, which makes me happier <laughs> that you know the dark, all-black bat suit is gone. So um, it's kind of cool to see some of the details in the bat suit. You can kind of tell it looks like this bat suit has kind of seen some battle, and just looks like really organic in the uh, suit. So, did you get a chance to see that at all? I did, and I didn't understand it at first because it came up and it said April twentieth, and so for some reason I just thought that's when the movie was being released, and I, I'm just I wasn't even thinking. And then I saw it, and I was like, "Well, that was not a really good teaser trailer. I thought it was like the the teaser trailer." Uh, or the trail. I'm like, well, we're just looking at the suits, and I'm like, the bat suit looks cool, and the cow really has a, a really cool definition and sort of like eyebrow expression on it. But it wasn't much, and then I realized it was the teaser for the teaser. Like that was just announcing that the trailer's coming this April 20th. And so then I then I liked it a lot. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool that they did that. But um, yeah, I can't wait to see because I did. I've seen the bootleg version of the footage from Comic Con. Which is like right out of the Dark Knight Returns with the bat signal. Have you seen that one? Yes, I saw it a couple hours ago. Yeah, and when I saw that, I mean, man, that seeing Superman with the red eyes, man, I was totally geeking out. I was like, the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up with that. So um, this this teaser is just like, ah, okay, but you know what? It's a teaser for the teaser. That's fine. Um, seeing the suits didn't really get me that crazy but that comic-con footage oh man that that looks so good so uh and it's kind of hard because when you search these things on youtube there's so many fan-made trailers that i start looking at stuff and i'm like well is this real is this fake and then i'll notice something like for it'll be ben affleck and it'll be i'll I'll recognize the movie or it's something he's in an astronaut outfit and i'm like oh wait a minute this is armageddon this isn't fake (laughs) so um so so i'm always kind of like skeptical i'm like is this real is this fake but um it definitely got me. The fact that they would do that for a trailer coming up, that they would make a trailer for a trailer, <laughs> makes me think that man, we, we might see something really good in a couple of days. So that I'm I'm geeking out for. Which I'm sure when people listen to this, they'll already have seen it. So yeah. you people in the future, you you're so lucky. <laughs> We're back here in the past. We have no Batman v Superman footage. <laughs> That's right. We we don't know. We can't appreciate what you already know. And by yeah. the time I listen back to this, I'll know what you know, but I don't know it now. Yeah. <laughs> I made my head hurt right there. Uh, yeah. In some of the bootleg uh, footage out there, there's audio that you can kind of make out uh, what uh, Affleck is saying to Superman. Something like, uh, do you bleed? And uh, it's like, you know, he'll, he says something like, well, we'll find out. Or I don't know. Oh, cool. It's hard to tell if it's uh, Superman saying that back to Batman or Batman is saying both of those questions to Superman. So, yeah, if that wasn't enough, and I know this is a Batman uh, universe podcast, but we're going to ta- we're going to talk about something here really quick that took me back to my childhood. Um, I think I've posted all, all over Facebook and stuff and saying my inner child is rejoicing or my childhood just cried. Today was the first. If that wasn't enough, it was like. DC did their teaser for a teaser that's coming out, and we should say that uh, what they're doing is you can get tickets to any IMAX theater, and you can go see the uh, Batman vs. Superman trailer 
in an IMAX uh, screening. So you know, tickets are free, but I guess they're selling out really fast. So, <laughs> wow. you know, if I was off on Monday, I thought that'd be kind of cool to you know drive up to Columbus and you know go stand in line with a bunch of people for two minutes and twenty two seconds and watch yeah. a, watch a trailer. But uh, so it was like you know DC did this today, and then Disney and Lucas Arts said, you know what, we're gonna drop a little something today. The Force Unleashed trailer. I don't know about you, Terrence, but I just stared. Uh, I was at work on my phone. I thought I cannot wait to get home and watch it, you know, on my uh, big monitor. Um, I I thought I was just transported back to you know the '80s and you know getting to see old friends in the first footage of the speeder going through the desert and you see the crashed star destroyer. I was like, Holy crap. I think what the first thing you see is like an X wing that has been buried, uh, into the sand. But, uh, what were your first uh, thoughts of the force unleashed trailer? Yeah. I mean, there, there are so many, it's like a flood of stuff. And, um, you know, I've been in the last couple of weeks, been really into star Wars because, um, my youngest stepdaughter, who's nine, we, we, we watched the um, prequels together not too long ago and just finished up the third one just recently. And then we went to Disney World um, two weeks ago where she got to do the uh, Jedi training and she got to fight Darth Vader um, with a lightsaber. And let me tell you, the Darth Vader and the Stormtroopers, uh, they look movie quality. Like wow. the guy dressed like Darth Vader, if you would have told me that this was the costume that was used in the movie, I would have believed it. It looked, you know, that perfect and uh, we rode the star wars ride like four times and so then and just seeing this on top of it is just like the icing on the cake and um i loved jj abrams star trek so i've had total faith that these movies are going to be awesome and uh it just seems like epic in scale like the scale of things is huge like the that star destroyer in the desert is just such a cool like huge thing and i just i can't wait to see it up on the big screen um and um seeing all this stuff and i just because i when i saw return of the jedi and maybe as a kid and even as an adult i kind of thought like well that's the end of the story like the empire is defeated the bad guys are dead the you know anakin's become good again story's over everybody lives happily ever after with the ewoks and and it's like oh wait a minute there's more stormtroopers there's the something in the empire survived so i i'm like so keen to find out just like what is the story like did the rebels win or are they still is there still a rebellion and did somebody step up after the emperor and um i know there was like the whole expanded universe and there was all these stories and books and comic books but i know a lot of that history now they're saying didn't exist so um as far as visually it was awesome but I'm more interested in just the whole story of like what's happened, you know. And then what really gets me is it ends with Han Solo and Chewbacca, and uh, Han Solo's like, "Chewie, we're home." And I'm like, "What's he talking about? Is he talking about the Millennium Falcon?" And they're like, "Well, why hasn't he been on the Millennium Falcon for the last, you know, thirty years and stuff?" So um, it, it definitely gives me a lot more questions than answers. But oh man, I can't wait. Oh yeah. I mean, it, you sound like I could have been hanging out with you as a kid growing up. Yeah. That me and my friends were like, after it was all over and, you know, the Ewoks are singing their song, my cousin and I walked out of the theater and he's like, there's other stormtroopers on other planets going around. He's like, well, there's a rogue stormtrooper that decides he's taken over everything. And after uh, the trailer, uh, 
uh, debuted today. He sent me a text. And he's like, "I told you, stormtrooper." <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, holy crap! We have I haven't we picked that conversation up like thirty some odd years ago, like right when we came out of the theater. Yeah. Like, do you remember that conversation? He's like, "Oh hell yeah, <laughs> yeah." That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh man, I just can't wait. It's gonna be so good. Um, we're going to the movies. I think either this week or next week, I forget, whatever Earth Day is, because Disney always comes out with their um, Earth Day movie. Yeah. And if you go opening weekend, they, like, donate a portion of it to some kind of environmental charity, or usually whatever animal it's about, it, like, to the animal charity. Uh, and my wife was just like, man, do you think they're going to show the trailer in front of the Disney Earth Day movie? I'm like, oh, I hope so. I, I just want to see that on the big screen. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Um, you know, we're not that far out. Uh Sorry, Dustin, if you're listening, I'm going to mention the other comic book company, but ah, screw it. Um, you know, uh, we're a few weeks out from uh, Age of Ultron coming out, so mm-hmm. since that's also owned by Disney, you know that uh, the Star Wars trailer is going to probably have to play ahead of that, and there's rumors going around that the Batman versus Superman trailer could be in along uh, with it. You know, whoever, you know, is the distributor of the movie can say, okay, opening week, you know, we want these trailer so they'll probably be all generally disney related but they have the right to pull in you know other trailers and jj abrams and um snyder have been going back and forth tweeting you know each other's movies and there's a picture of you know a stormtrooper that has just stolen the batmobile and he's getting put in the car and Mm -hmm. uh, you know they're kind of going back and forth with each other so i would not be surprised if you know we go see uh age of ultron and we don't see Star Wars, Ant-Man, and uh, Batman versus Superman all in one uh, movie theater, as far as, you know, trailers. Yeah, I think, uh, I can't remember now whether it was Man of Steel or The Dark Knight Rises. I I forget which one of them was in front of the first Avengers movie. Like, they did the uh, cross-promotion because, you know, those companies pay to put those trailers in the movie, so... You know, whoever is doing it, they don't care. They get the money, so and it, it's smart marketing. So and you're appealing to that fan base right there, and you're getting them, you know, excited for it. So yeah, they definitely, you know, should. I, I wish I don't know. A part of me wishes Warner Brothers would actually just sell DC to to Marvel and Disney, and they could all be under one day because they there was I think it was back in the 70s or so before Warner Brothers bought DC, mm-hmm. Marvel almost brought bought brought I can't speak right now my New York accent you know they bought them um, <laughs> uh, Marvel almost bought DC back in the 70s and I always wonder like how different would the all comic industry and storyline and everything if those two universes would have merged so, and I think you know what the most people who are not comic book readers have no idea what Marvel and DC is they don't know like they just think Spider-Man and Superman and Batman and they all hang out and they don't understand like when I've talked to regular people and they're like oh is Batman in the Avengers or you know like they just don't think in terms of companies it's all just one big superhero universe to them anyway so um, but yeah um Cannot wait for those movies. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I and knowing that uh, Avengers is really going to set up uh, once that hits, it's going to be kind of full steam ahead for anybody that's in the geekdom, you know, community. Yeah, I'm just kind of looking out. Ant Man's not that far away after the Avengers. Um, I'm trying to remember if there was something else in between that time, but the new James Bond film is going to drop in November. And then December, we've got 
uh, Star Wars in March. We've got uh, Batman versus Superman, and then in May we have Civil War, uh, Captain America three. So it's just going to be relentless, and then Suicide Squad's in there somewhere. So I think we've got a long road ahead of us for a comic book and just you know just really cool movies. And something I'd want to uh, say real quick with J.J. Abrams doing the Star Trek franchise and now doing Star Wars. It looks like it's the same director, but they look like two completely separate movies. It's not like, okay, I'm going to use all my lens flares and everything I did with Star Trek, and I'm going to pull that into Star Wars. It looks like, if if I didn't know J.J. Abrams was directing it, I would swear George Lucas is directing this. It looks and felt like a Star Wars trailer. You could play all the trailers from all seven films back to back to back and it it'll look like one cohesive universe which i think that's a testament to the director i think jj abrams is probably going to be that he knows and goes hey this is what star wars is supposed to look like and i'm going to make it look like that rather than you know do something crazy like it did with star trek which i thought was great uh, did do you have the same feeling about that Oh, yeah, definitely. Like Zack Snyder with Superman and Watchmen and 300. And you can kind of tell, like, oh, this is all the same. Like, (laughs) you know, when Superman was fighting Zod, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, a Spartan came around the corner or something. Like, it was kind of, you know, similar. But, yeah, if I had not... If I had not known that it was J.J. Abrams directing, you know, Star Wars, and you just showed me the trailers, I wouldn't have been able to just say right away, "Oh, I know who this is." I'd just been like, "Whoever this is is brilliant," but <laughs> I would not have known. Um, and um, did you see uh, the other day Mark Hamill on The Flash as the Trickster? Yes. Yeah, he was really good. And my stepdaughter, she had like a, just a total geek out moment when he was like. Axel, I am your father. She like jumped out of her seat. She's like, "Oh my gosh, do you see what they did? Do you see what they did?" And I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> the next generation, it's past here." <laughs> but um, I have a question for you because I was wondering about this because we had just finished the prequels. Do you think it was a mistake for George Lucas to have done the prequels? Do you think he should have gone ahead and just done episodes? Um, what would have been uh, seven, eight, nine. Six, seven, eight, nine? Or do you think he was better off doing the prequels? I've, I'm one of the, one of those people that I don't, like some people just hate the prequels. I, I enjoyed them for what they were. To me, it was like ten years too late. Mm-hmm. By that point, um, the prequels look like they're farther ahead technology-wise than Episode you know, four, five, and six are. I mean, I can you can kind of look past that a little bit, but. Excuse me. I don't know if uh, I don't know what the end result would have been because um, he, he directed everything in the prequels, but the only film he directed was A New Hope, and he had two other directors do Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. So that always had me wondering, like, I wonder what would have happened if he had done the same thing again, done Phantom Menace, and then hired two other directors if. You know, if things would have been different, I don't know if it was a mistake, yeah. but I, I don't know. I can't. I'm not answering the question. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. See, because personally, I think it was a mistake. I think he should have done sequels and done whatever the numbering was, seven, eight, nine, just because like the prequels, 
you you know the technology looks so much better so like when r2d2 pulls out like thrusters on his side and shoots oil and stuff you're like well why didn't he do this in the new hope and look but if it was a sequel you could like write off as well technological advances and it's an upgrade and um and i feel like story wise story wise he just like he pigeonholed himself because whatever story he writes it's got to end with the new hope. It's got to end with the beginning of episode four with Darth Vader as the bad guy and Princess Leia and Luke separated and the rebellion and all that. So he, he kind you kind of know how it's all going to end. So then this character of Anakin, like you can't make him too likable because he's got to turn out to be the bad guy, but then you don't want him to have a three movies in a row with a guy you don't like. And it's just, I just think it was just a bad, bad you know, a situation to have to try to write a story in and have it make sense and then have a guy who you like for three movies but then have to believe he turns evil at the end. It just... And then the... the You know, the first movie has got some stupid stuff with, like, Jar Jar Binks farting and burping and stepping in poo and stuff like that. And whatever. But by the third movie, he, he ended that. Like, there's none of that stuff in the third movie. There's no silly, stupid fart gags or stuff like that in the third movie. But then the third movie which I thought was a lot better, but it just ends with you feeling terrible because you're just like, all right, well, now Anakin almost kills Padme. Now he's, like, horribly scarred and disfigured. Now he's in Darth Vader. The Emperor wins. You know, the bad guys win. Uh, The kids are separated. Padme dies. And then they end with, like, this scene of Alderaan, which is, like, this beautiful, gorgeous planet. It looks like the whole planet's a national park, and you're just thinking... All right. Well, in a couple of minutes, that's going to get blown up by the Death Star, and everyone I'm looking at is going to die. You know, yeah. so it's like, it just, it just, I just felt like, even though the third movie I thought was much, much better, and a lot of the stuff that people criticize the prequels for was fixed, it just ends on such like a for Star Trek, uh, Star Trek for Star Wars fans, it just ends on just like this bad feeling of like. Even the beautiful planet's about to get blown up in you know a couple decades here. So yeah, I, I I think he probably should have just made the sequels. But yeah, I guess you can't go back in time and fix it. The only thing I would have changed. Well, there's a lot of things I would have changed. Though let me say it's not they're not my favorite of the bunch. But I'm I look at them as a whole and go okay, it's it's telling the whole story. And there's people that are going I haven't watched Star Wars movies. You know how what order should I watch them in? Well, the continuity police in me says, well, watch one, two, three, or do you watch them in the order that they were released? So that way, if you haven't seen anything, you know, all the things you're supposed to be surprised at happen in the order that that they're supposed to. But um, having, I forget what the kid's name is that plays Anakin, and then the next movie, he's automatically 16 years old. Um, I would have forgotten the whole thing that he's a little kid and that he's going to grow up and then we'll try and make everybody else age accordingly that just kind of seemed you know odd to me and I, yeah episode one wasn't what i thought it was going to be going in it i mean i went to, to see it three times in the theater so i must have enjoyed it enough to pay for it three times but i think several viewings afterwards it's the one that i watch the least if i do watch the prequels usually i'll just start with episode three and then you know work my way through but uh you know i don't know i don't know if i would have seeing what we see now i don't think lucas would have got there if he just would have done um you know episode seven i don't think the end result would have been 
hopefully as good as the film I think we're going to get. So yeah. I, I guess oh, I'm no, glad definitely. it happened in the order that it did. And uh, it's kind of disheartening to hear Lucas say, well, I, I haven't even really seen the trailer yet. You know, the very first trailer that was released in December. And yeah. Like, really? Th- this was your baby, and you sold it, and you didn't want to see what the outcome of it was? And he just like, oh, I haven't got around to seeing it. Which was kind of like, it's like a, a dick thing to say. It's like, well, I no longer care about it anymore. I'm like, seriously? Yeah. So. It's like your kid goes away to college, and you're just like, yeah, I can't bother to go to his graduation. He, he doesn't live there anymore, so, you know, I'm kind of done with him, yeah. <laughs> What's Junior do? Oh, he's a doctor or a plumber or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I sold all his stuff and bought a Ferrari, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a Ferrari. <laughs> oh, uh, The last thing I want to talk about real quick to kind of pull this back into the Batman universe, uh, have you seen uh, the animated movie that just came out, Batman vs. Robin? I haven't. No, I saw. Uh, I'm a little behind on the animated movies. I did see the the prequel to that, though, uh, the Batman and Son, and I thought that was really good. I thought that was probably about as good as I've seen. I still think my favorite one is Flat, the Flashpoint Paradox. Yeah. But this this was about as good as it gets. It was really mature. It wasn't goofy or silly or any animated like stuff that makes you roll your eyes. It was like straightforward action, and I was actually. Kind of surprised that that was a PG-13 rating. I was like, this could have been an R. Um, yeah. But I guess because it's animated and straight to video, I, I, they could probably get away with a little more. Um, so how does it rate compared to that one? Uh, this, I think, by far is the best. If in the current continuity of films that they're doing, this is what? Forward Paradox, Justice League War, uh, Batman and Son, Throne of Atlantis, and then, yeah, this one. Uh, this is my favorite. Um, and... They had uh, titled it originally uh, Batman vs. Robin uh, and the Court of the Owls, and they took the Court of the Owls away from it. Um, I know that you and I were on the Bat fans for a while, and we were talking Court of the Owls for uh, quite a little bit. Uh, this uh, And the cool thing about this, there are two documentaries by uh, Snyder and Capullo as they talk about the creation of the Court of the Owls. This... It's not 100% an adaption of The Court of the Owls, but they have a very, very large uh, presence in this film. I, I thought it was fantastic. It just took everything that they did in uh, uh, Batman and Son and just upped it 100%. I thought this was really, really good. I, I recommend uh, you know, downloading it, picking it up, if, if you can get the chance to. I think it'll probably be one that you'll really like. Yeah, that's cool. And in... Uh, well, Batman and Son, um, Talia might have been the hottest animated character I've seen since Jessica Rabbit when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, whoever drew her has got quite the imagination, but yeah, that was pretty cool. And Deathstroke was cool in it, too. Um, so, And I like how, like, I wonder if there's a way they could retcon it into the DC Universe, but I like the idea that Robin is the one who blinded uh, <laughs> Slade in one eye. So, yeah. The My only uh, gripe with... Uh batman and son is having nightwing in it instead of tim drake um yeah i thought that would have added just like i liked the grant morrison uh comic quite a bit and i liked that there was that angst between damien and the current robin of like well i'm here now i want your job you know type thing and damien you know almost kills tim at one point rather than having the little nightwing you know bit in there which I don't think Tim quite gets 
the treatment that he should get in animated uh, features. I think wherever Tim Drake is, for whatever reason, like, well, we'll, we'll put in Nightwing. I'm like, oh, come on, put yeah. in Tim. Yeah. So that was and, uh, I, I thought they made um, Damien a little softer, too. I was waiting for him to come in with the, the criminal's head in the bag. And yeah. They, they didn't do that. So I was like, oh, yeah, they, they kind of made him a little more likable. Uh, this has... Uh, some more, some of those uh, Damien moments in there, where it's not the criminal head in the bag, but he kind of pushes the envelope where you go, okay, that's that's the Damien that we were introduced, you know, in the very beginning. So I, I, I liked this quite a bit. I think I've watched it three times now. Oh, cool! I'm <laughs> gonna just out. came out Tuesday. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I now don't feel so bad about not seeing it so, so quick, but yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Well, since we managed to get ourselves back here to the Batman universe, uh, we are going to start talking about uh, the Robin annual. But first, welcome to the show. Annual number one, Eclipso, The Darkness Within. Cover date, 1992. On sale date, July 14th, 1992. Cover price, $2.50. The page count is a whopping 64 pages, so this synopsis is going to be a little bit longer. I tried to shorten it down where I could, so bear with me. Uh, The editor is Dennis J. O'Neill. Cover credits is Sam Keith. Writer is Alan Grant, along with John Wagner, again because of its size. The penciler is Tom Lyle, with finishing pencils by Scott Hanna, letters by Timothy Harkins, colorist Adrian Roy. Tim Drake, Robin created by Marv Wolfman and Pat Broderick. Robin costume created by Neil Adams and Norm Brayfogel. The story, The Anarchy Ultimatum. Late in the evening of Gotham City, a local Gotham City artist, Sergio Palantin, was watching the evening news just after having finished creating some new masterpieces when suddenly anarchy drops in through the skylight and zaps Sergio with his cane knocking Sergio to the ground and and melts one of Sergio's sculptures with his staff and turns to Sergio and says, I assure you, if you don't give me what I came for, we will discover if human flesh melts in the same way that the sculpture did. Sergio looks at anarchy and says, What is it that you want? Diamonds, Mr. Palantin. Diamonds. As black as your capitalist heart. Seconds later, swinging into the night sky is Robin the Boy Wonder. He arrives at Sergio's building rooftop and drops into the skylight to find Sergio tied up and gagged in his living room. Sergio tells Robin what has transpired and that it was anarchy after the black diamonds. He took all of them. Robin turns to look out the window and sees anarchy swinging away. 
Anarchy is surprised that the Batman has sent the boy Wonder. This is the first time Anarchy and Robin have met face to face. Anarchy pulls out one of the smoke bombs from his cloak and throws it on the ground, giving Anarchy a few seconds to be able to slip away. Once the smoke clears, Robin looks up and Anarchy is gone. Anarchy has fled, leaving the scene, giving one of the black diamonds to a drunk man outside of the bank. The anger and the rage the drunk man feels begins to have an effect on him, and the black diamond begins to possess him in a cloud of smoke, and Eclipso takes form of the drunk man outside of the bank. Robin realizes that Anarchy has given the black diamond to the man, and that Eclipso has been activated. Robin knows that only a solar blast can stop Eclipso. After a few minutes, Robin is able to use the device to shoot a blast of solar white energy light towards Eclipso, causing Eclipso to vanish, leaving the drunk man in the debris of what's left of the bank. As the police arrive to take care of the drunk, Robin swings away and radios to Batman. Batman and Robin exchange information on Eclipso and what the diamonds are doing. On hunch, Batman tells Robin he needs to check out Anarchy's alter ego, Lonnie McCain's apartment, for clues. Robin begins to do so and starts to sift through papers and computer data files. It looks like Lonnie has been living here for some time. All Robin can do now is to start to go through floppy disks. That's right, folks, floppy disks, hello, 1990s, and check for anything that may lead to Anarchy's new whereabouts. While Robin is sifting through Anarchy's computer and getting closer to what Anarchy has been doing with the Eclipso Black Diamonds, Anarchy has sent a package to the mayor of Gotham City. Once the mayor has received his morning mail, he enters his limousine and pulls out a videotape. He puts it in the VCR. That's right, folks, a VCR. It's this thing where we, we actually taped things. That's oh, going to take so much longer to tell you what a VCR is. So let's just go. Let's just say uh, he had as a DVR copy of it, uh, an MPEG. I think you get what I'm trying to say. He has a video of <laughs> he has a video of Anarchy. Anarchy has four demands on the video. Yeah, we'll go with video. One, the entire metropolitan area has been overtaken by automobiles and is polluting the air in Gotham City. This must not be allowed. Only public transit vehicles must be used from now on. All other forms of motor vehicles must cease and desist. Point two, all welfare payments must be doubled immediately. And point three, all homeless persons must be given shelter by noon. And point four, Police Commissioner Gordon must be resigned, and his duties must be handed over to the citizens of Gotham City in the form of a committee. To prove that anarchy means business, he will demonstrate his power and demolish the newly constructed Eastside Bridge precisely at 11.30 p.m. tonight. The mayor asks to be taken to its location promptly. It's supposed to open tomorrow. It's at this moment Anarchy is over at the bridge. He is aiming his solar flare bomb to be able to release him from the Eclipso Diamond. That's right, he's going to use the Eclipso Diamond on himself to bring down the bridge to show Anarchy's assertiveness. Now under the power of Eclipso, Anarchy begins to fly across the bridge. Now holding the diamond in his hands, he looks through a diamond and a blast of energy rips through the columns holding the supports of the bridge. The bridge begins to collapse into the Gotham River. Then the explosion from the solar flare goes off, engulfing anarchy. The Eclipso powers dissipate from anarchy, and anarchy himself falls into the river. Later at the bridge, Batman and Robin begin to talk about anarchy. Batman tells Robin they need to check out anarchy's family to see if Lonnie has been seen for a while. They may have some clues to where Lonnie has been. In his secret identity as Tim Drake, 
Tim goes to check with Lonnie's family. They haven't seen him for quite some time. All leads are coming up to a dead end. Meanwhile, Lonnie has called the mayor's office as anarchy and asked the mayor if he's agreed to his terms. The mayor says no, you can't expect that type of reaction like that so soon and tries to keep anarchy on the phone so the police can trace the call. Lonnie says don't bother trying to track the phone call. I only have one more thing to say to you. Tomorrow when I call, I'll guarantee you will have changed your tune and Lonnie hangs up the phone. Tim calls to Wayne Manor and asks Alfred if Bruce has had any luck in the case. Alfred says that Master Bruce has also come up empty-handed. Tim says they don't have much time. It's going to be dark soon, and Anarchy will be able to use the diamonds again, as they can only be used in the nighttime. When Tim is checking out Lonnie's apartment, he found some grain seeds on the floor. He thought it was odd. Lonnie must have tracked them in from somewhere. A mill, maybe. Anarchy must have got them from the mill on the edge of town. Maybe that's where Anarchy has been hiding this whole time. Now in his Robin costume, Robin has made his way to the mill on the outside of Gotham City. Once inside, Robin can see that there is a map that Anarchy has circled. It's of the amusement park at Castle Park. This must be where Anarchy's next target is going to be. The evening sky is starting to set across Gotham City. It's either now or never. Anarchy is setting up his solar cannon on the top of the Castle Park Amusement Center. He pulls out the black crystal and begins to let Eclipso take control of him once again. Just as he raises the diamond into the air, Robin swings in and kicks Anarchy to the ground, causing Anarchy to drop the diamond to the ground. On the ground below the castle tower, a young woman is sitting on a park bench, fuming at her friend Cindy, wishing that she was a dinosaur so she could rip her head off. Just go with it, folks. Uh, (laughs) At this moment, the black diamond falls into the young woman's purse, and the black diamond begins to smoke and envelops the young woman. This time, instead of the vapor apparition of Eclipso, it changes her into, ready? Dun-dun-dun, a dinosaur. The young woman is now a dinosaur and begins to sniff the air for her friend Cindy's scent. The dinosaur is now running through the amusement park of Gotham City, tearing everything in its path. Anarchy quickly gets to his feet and tries to use a solar flare and aims it towards a dinosaur, but it lands in the river not too far from he and Robin. It's a dud. The solar flare is not going to work. It's not going to release the woman from the form of a dinosaur. Yeah, I know. She's a dinosaur. It's okay. (laughs) Robin checks his flare light that he has been using, and when he landed after kicking Anarchy, he crushed it on the ground. Robin had overheard the young woman say that she was angry with this Cindy person. Eclipso is obsessed and has gone to satisfy its rage. Robin says he doesn't have time to deal with Anarchy right now, and he hasn't heard the last from him as Robin swings away. Anarchy says, If you think I run from trouble, then you don't know me very well. Anarchy, too, swings over the top of the castle. As a dinosaur begins to roll through the Gotham Park, it finds Cindy and her boyfriend as they are entering the Tunnel of Love. The dinosaur rips through the top of the cavern of the Tunnel of Love and attacks Cindy and her boyfriend. Cindy's boyfriend doesn't wait around too long and heads out of there like crazy from the Tunnel of Love. Just then... Robin swings in and grabs Cindy around the waist, and the two of them run to safety. Seconds later, the dinosaur rips through the end of the park ride and begins to give chase after Robin and Cindy. Anarchy lands a few feet away and pulls out a gold ball from his cloak and throws it at a rocket swing ride, causing one of the rockets to detach from the ride and crash into the dinosaur. The dinosaur falls to the ground on one of the other rides, and electric cables begin to shock the dinosaur, but it's having no effect. 
Robin and Cindy are running to try to escape the dinosaur. A dinosaur comes to its feet and knocks Robin to the ground, causing one of the cable cars to get between him and Cindy. Anarchy swoops in and grabs Cindy, and the two of them head to the roller coaster. Robin looks over his shoulder and sees the Car of Tomorrow display. It's a solar-powered battery a solar-powered battery car. Maybe the car's solar energy will work. Robin runs over to the museum where the car is housed. Anarchy and Cindy begin to climb into the roller coaster up the scaffolding to the top to try and get away from the dinosaur. The dinosaur swings her tail at the coaster. Parts of the ride begin to crash down to the ground, including the scaffolding piece that Anarchy was standing on, and Anarchy slips to the ground, leaving Cindy trapped on the coaster by herself. Robin, now in the solar-powered car, begins to drive and head towards the dinosaur. Robin drives up the side of the tracks on the amusement ride with the headlights on and leaps from the car. The solar-powered beams hit the dinosaur. Energy and smoke begin to dissipate from the dinosaur's body, and the woman has returned to her youthful form. Robin lands on top of the coaster and grabs Cindy and swings to the ground. Once on the ground, Robin throws his R-Shuriken rope around Anarchy's waist and ties him up. Robin says she never would have been in danger if it hadn't been for you. What if Cindy had been killed? How would you have felt then? Let this be a lesson to you. The power of Eclipso is not for the likes of you and I to meddle with. And just to drive this lesson home, I intend to see you pay for your crimes. First of all, we need to retrieve all of the diamonds. Robin grabs Anarchy and says, let's go. The medics arrive shortly thereafter and begin to look at Cindy and the woman who became a dinosaur. Yeah, I know, she became a dinosaur. Just then, Cindy's boyfriend shows up, and Cindy is none too happy. In Robin's custody, Anarchy is still tied up, and he and Robin are walking out of the amusement park together. It wasn't meant to be like this, Anarchy says. What I did was for the best reasons. The demands I made were in the best interest of the public. Robin says, the way you set up to achieve them was the wrong way. You can't harness evil in the service of good. It just doesn't work out that way, Anarchy. Robin says, still, in the end, we may not be such a bad team. Anarchy turns and looks at Robin and says, if we're such a good team, then why am I the one wearing the rope? The end. All right, that was the annual. Hopefully, uh, I wrap that up and <laughs> nice. I don't think it'll be uh, too hard because at the time I'm recording this, I haven't recorded the synopsis yet. <laughs> but uh, uh, I don't think it'll be too hard to uh, pull that together. Uh, your impressions right off the bat, since I came from this a little bit newer and you've got a little bit more uh, history behind it, uh, did it hold up for you uh, reading it uh, 20 some odd years later? Yeah, well, first, when you do the synopsis, I'm expecting a lot of Eclipso dinosaur noises in the background. Uh, I am thinking of putting the Jurassic Park theme uh, behind the dinosaur bit at one point. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. And um, I I got kind of lucky on this book because um, it's not available digitally anywhere that I could find. And my comics are not in a very accessible place right now. And so I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to pull a lot of stuff out to try to dig through. And luckily, it was actually in the second box that I checked. So I was like, whew, here's all my Robin. So I think maybe psychologically, maybe I had put those on top knowing I'd be doing podcasts with you and so I could get them. Uh, but I'm not that smart. So it's probably just luck of the Irish for me. 
but um, yeah, you know, it was it was a, it was a cool book. I, I like the artwork a lot. It's got some really classic Robin um, looking, um, and it's you know Tom Ryle, and then it says finishes Scott Hanna. So I wonder what kind of rush they were in to do this book. If if there was a lot of artwork that was just kind of um, halfway done, and then it was finished later by another artist just to get this annual out. Um, the I remember the whole Eclipse line because. I, I want to say it was 1991. They did a whole thing where they tied in all the annuals in a thing called like Armageddon 2001, where it was like 10 years in the future. And I was like, wow, that's so far in the future. It's, we're all going to be in flying cars and stuff. And now it's 14 <laughs> years ago. But that was really cool. That was really successful. And I think they were trying to, there was like a, a streak of like seven years in a row where the annuals all had a tie in and, some themes were a lot better than others, and Eclipso was kind of mediocre, I think. I, I don't think it was that great, but it wasn't that horrible either. Um, and um, the cover, it's funny, I looked at the cover, and I really like this cover, and I'm like, this looks like Sam Keith. And um, he was doing a lot of covers, he does a lot of the Nightfall covers that I know you got coming up. But I'm like, he always puts his name on the cover. He always got that really uh, unique Keith. I can't find it anywhere. I'm like, was it him? Is it someone else? And then I finally found it in, like, the bridge. Um, It's it's hard to see, but it's like some of the um, mesh of the bridge spells out Keith. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it is Sam Keith. Um, And, you know, my overall impression was it was a pretty good story. I guess this was the first time Robin and Anarchy met. Which, because there's one thing where um, Robin meets Anarchy and Robin says, uh, Anarchy says, oh, you've heard of me. Um, Which, uh, I was like, oh, this must be their first time. I guess it was just Batman that um, Anarchy had previously been. And I wonder if this is the the second Anarchy story. You know, at this point he hadn't been around very long, so this might actually only be the second. Or if if not the second, there hadn't been many Anarchy stories. Um, It is kind of funny reading it in a post 9-11 world where, you know, anarchy completely destroys a bridge and blows it up. And it's just kind of like no big deal. They're just like, yeah. And even Batman at one point kind of lies about it and says like, yeah, yeah, we just told the public it's, you know, a structural problem. And like, that's okay. Then like, I'd be more freaked out that bridges would fall because they were built wrong. And then someone blew it up. And, um, you know, and, and then the next day, I guess, in the press, they say, oh, yeah, it, it fell for structural reasons. And Anarchy doesn't seem at all upset that he blew up the bridge yet is getting no credit for it. Um, so, and then, but then I, I really like, I don't know, just kind of giving the overall, at the end, they do a thing where, like, Robin and Anarchy are kind of walking down the street, almost like out of an old, like, 40s movie or something. And he's got Anarchy just tied up walking him down. And um, Robin says to him, still in the end, we we made not a bad team. Yeah, if we make such a good team, you know, how come I'm the one wearing the rope? And that's how it ends. But it's kind of cool because in the Red Robin series, uh, they actually did team up and they did become sort of friends and work together. So I I thought, you know, obviously they didn't know that in 1992, but I thought that was like, oh, that's cool. That's actually some good foreshadowing of what's to come. Uh, I I think I might have said this before. I can't remember on what episode. But I think at one point that uh, Lonnie was in the running to be the next Robin. Um, Alan Granny had, had created him, and I think you're right. This is the second Anarchy story. Um, uh, Tim did have a run-in with Lonnie when he was going under the alias of the Money Spider for a while. So he's met Lonnie, but this, as far as running in with Anarchy, this uh, is his first. But I think there was... 
there was a blog somewhere. Um, I think Neil Adams was even talking about it at one point, where there was this kind of point of okay we'll do this anarchy character and at the end of that run alan grant was kind of saying well maybe this could be the next rob and we could convert this uh lonnie mccain or mccain i never know how to pronounce his last name um mackin i never know (laughs) i don't know either your guess is as good as mine (laughs) we'll just call him lonnie but i i think there was a point where they were going to shift him in uh, the Robin position, and then that's when Marv Wolfman and Pat Broderick started doing the Lonely Place of Dying, and they uh, had decided we'll do the uh, Tim Drake. So, for a brief moment, I think DC was going to let Anarchy go by the wayside, and Anarchy was going to become Robin. So, um, I, I'm glad that didn't happen because Anarchy's always kind of been one of my uh, favorite villains. And, uh, you know, the reveal that it's a kid in there. And I always thought, man, his neck is so long, you know. And then to find out it's this, this housing that he wears and that the face of anarchy is just this shell. I thought that was really clever that some kid thought, hey, I, I can make my neck really long. I'll appear to be an adult and they won't know I'm a kid. I thought that was really kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember reading that first Batman series with anarchy and they gave you some... Um uh, what are they called? I forget when they give you a false clue. There's a name for it too. I, I can't remember. In detective stories. Um, I'll, I'll think of it halfway through the podcast and a shout it herring? out. The red herring. That's it. Thank you, Rob. Uh, <laughs> uh, that it was uh, Anarchy's father who was actually Anarchy, and then it was a twist that it was actually the son, and actually the father was going to realize it was his son and was going to take the fall for him to protect him. Um, and so I, I remember reading that thing. Oh, it's a really good twist. And for me, Anarchy was always one of the most believable villains because, yeah. you know, being a, uh, a teenager, being, you know, in college in the early 90s, I knew people who were like that, like, you know, in college and, and at that age, just so, like, fanatical about save the earth or, you know, all corporations are evil and how, you know, you're very, like, idealistic at that age. And um, so for me to be at that age, it was very believable that someone would be that idealistic and someone would be that, you know, um, bent on, like, you know, saving the earth and, and down with the corporations and down with, you know, um all the you know corporate welfare and give more to the poor and and that, and that more social programs and uh, that was just a much more believable uh, motive to me than a lot of the other supervillains who get superpower and trying to rob a bank or or you know what what it, what have you or um, and it was unique I mean um, there weren't any other really supervillains that I was reading that had these like very liberal left wing political agendas. Uh, and um, I think I, if I, I know you're 100 percent correct because I had heard that that you know Grant uh, wanted him to be the next Robin when they were getting ready to do a new Robin, and um, I knew Danny O'Neill, who's very left wing, really liked the character of Anarchy, and I think he wrote some Anarchy stories later on as well. And I always thought he was sort of like a, a version of V for Vendetta, and I think yeah. there was actually some design on that, like that was intended. Um, which I, you couldn't put V in the DC universe, but he was sort of Batman's version of V for Vendetta. And so I, um, I kind of liked that. And I liked when um, Beware the Bat were, was using him as one of the villains, too. I thought that was a good take on him. Uh, the book is just out of my reach. I'd make too much noise trying to reach it. But in the Money Spider, 
um, issue uh, on the back wall of Lonnie's uh, dorm room is V for Vendetta. Uh, you can clearly see that they drew that in there, kind of, you know, you said it just right that there's some V in there, so I think they were letting us, the reader, know that this is kind of what we modeled Anarchy uh, after. And I, I liked him for all the same reasons that you said. He seemed uh, believable and that you can go, okay, well, a Two-Face, a guy that has acid on both or one side of his face and everything revolves around twos and, you know, we have this plant lady. But Anarchy, I mean, there are people out there. I have coworkers that kind of are like, you know, the government's always trying to screw us and, you know, we have clean air and, you know, I'm not drinking any soda. I only drink water and, you know, we should be doing this, that, or the other. And if you kind of listen to that person long enough, two things usually end up happening. You get to the point where you're like, oh, please shut up. Or you start going, you know, you're kind of right, you know, and you can kind of see how that um, mob mentality is wrong, but how people can just be really good speakers and really kind of motivate people. And you can kind of get, be like little lemmings or be like, you know, led like sheep. And if you're not really listening to what the person is saying, that, they may be saying a lot of the right things that, you know, yeah, we should, we should be driving less cars and, you know, be using the carpool lane and, you know, we should be giving a homeless, you know, shelter, but the means that, you know, at least, uh, the way anarchy was trying to go about it, it's like, well, you're not going to do that. Well, I'm going to blow up a bridge and, you know, it, people still sometimes kind of uh, amass a following. So it's kind of like a slippery slope that you know you could turn on a TV today and you'll you'll see some left wing or even some really liberal right, white white <laughs> right wing people kind of get under that same uh, bandwagon so uh, I think that was a Freudian slip there. Yeah, yeah, there yeah, the white ring. <laughs> we will edit that from the podcast now. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw what's a Freudian slip when, when you say one thing but mean your mother. You know, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I think I liked Anarchy for that. Not that I'm saying like, oh, Rob secretly wants to overthrow the government and he, you know... Oh, it's no start. secret. We all know it. Oh, well, yeah, I know it. It doesn't help that that's my Twitter handle and you know, yeah. my Facebook page is just obliterated uh, with it. But, uh, yeah, it's just like you said, it's more uh, believable. You can believe uh, this type of villain. And it's kind of that line, too. It's like, is Anarchy really a villain? You know, he's not purposely trying to go out and, you know, hurt and kill a bunch of people, but he's trying to make a statement, you know, this needs to happen, or, you know, people are going to die because of the thing that you're currently doing. So it was always really cool when I saw Anarchy on a comic. I just, it was kind of like that that morality that Batman or Robin would have to deal with. It's like, yeah, they're, he's committing a crime, but he's really kind of bringing some things to light, so... I probably just pontificated long enough right there. No, that's okay. Yeah, I agree. And especially for the age that they made Anarchy. You know, if he was like a 40 or 45-year-old guy or something, you're like, okay. But that age, being 16 and feeling that way, you know, you definitely see that. And even, you know, in a post-9-11 world where we've seen people blow up buildings for what they believe in and do these, you know, um, 
acts of terrorism based on you know a belief system um it, it almost becomes even more believable because we've actually seen people do these horrendous things and the oklahoma city bombing and 9-11 and all the terrorism and all that and basically because they have an, a belief or they have an opinion and they feel so strongly they're willing to you know do these things for it that you can almost you know say oh yeah well he'd be just like one of those extremists uh, there's a couple spots in here. I'm trying to flip through this book pretty quick. Uh, the drunk guy out in front of the bank here that, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, you said, <laughs> what does he say? Take a tip from me, pal. The bank, them suckers, they got me in debt. The people blasted the bank, taking everything I got. <laughs> you know, it's like, I got nothing. My wife's gone. My house is gone. My car's gone. You know, throws the, uh, you know, uh, diamond into the uh thing there but you know you'll see people like that and uh the other one that i thought was funny while lonnie's on the payphone, there's a guy behind him's like you tell him buddy you know yeah, yeah. Or with his save the earth shirt and the rip sleeves yeah um the eclipso part i, I had never read any of the uh eclipso tie-ins uh was it did it start somewhere I can't believe it started in Robin, so I imagine it was a, an ongoing thread that was going through the annuals. Um, I got to double check, but I believe it was like the Armageddon 2001, where it started with an Eclipso, um, and it might have even been Eclipso Annual or Eclipso The Darkness Within Number One. Then it went through all the annuals, and then it had like a conclusion, like Eclipso Number Two. I'd have to double check. That's how Armageddon. Uh, 2001 work. They had Armageddon 2001 issue one. They did all the annuals, and then they had the final issue. Um, I'm not sure how many. I can't remember how many of these annuals were just kind of like standalone pieces like this, and how many um, actually moved the Eclipso story forward. Um, I will say I was not a huge Eclipso fan. I just he just didn't really scare me or evoke anything or just kind of like that. But uh, Jeff Johns in his Justice Society run when he he first started he di- he redid Eclipso uh, and he had this guy who could like uh, it's been a while since I read it but he could like harness Eclipso's power but he had these tattoos on his body which like uh, allowed him to control the power and so it was really really good that was one of the first things that made me think like wow Jeff Johns is a really good writer because um, it was one of the first things I read of his, and I'm like, wow, he's made Eclipso really good. That's an achievement. Mm-hmm. So if anybody ever gets a chance, I don't know if you ever read that, read the Jeff no. Johns Justice Society run. Jeff Johns Justice Society run, it, it, it went for I don't know how many issues, and then they canceled the book, and then they redid the book at number one with these Alex Ross covers, and he went, I think, another 30 issues or so, and he, he did this whole Kingdom Come tie-in and stuff, mm. and oh, man, it was just so good. That's some of the best... Uh, comics I've ever read um, so yeah I, I, to answer your question, talk about pontificating yeah, I think there was an Eclipso book that kind of had the main story cool and I, I liked it uh, at least in this annual that I didn't need to know anything about Eclipso other than uh, the diamonds were stolen that's where Eclipso was in uh, was kind of encased in and he would only come out with people that are, you know, angry or there's some rage there. So, yeah, they'll kind of get turned into whatever their rage manifests. So, I guess if you're thinking about a dinosaur, you'll turn into a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, at first, when I first was flipping through this, I thought this was the first appearance of uh, Ariana uh, with the uh, girl uh, that's in here uh, that's getting attacked by a dinosaur, but it's it's not. It's what? Carrie, I think is her name. Just uh, some random girl. Um, and I like how uh, Rob, he's been robbing long enough that she uh, knows uh, who he is. So I think the first when I was flipping through it, I'm like, oh, she knows who Robin is. And uh, she doesn't. It's just some girl that knows that, hey, this kid wearing the red and the green and the, on the black is uh, the boy Wonder. Um, I thought it was kind of cool at one point where um, Anarchy uses the diamond on himself and he has the ability to fly, which I thought that was really kind of creepy and eerie that you have this kind of red cloaked figure just kind of floating through uh, Gotham City, so I thought that was that was a pretty cool uh, thing there. But it didn't. Uh, the story doesn't rest solely on Eclipso, and that's the thing that it's talking about. It's really just a story of Robin trying to track down Anarchy for stealing diamonds, and oh by the way, there happens to be this entity that's inside it. So I thought that was kind of cool that I didn't, you know, read this and go, well, apparently I got to read Superman. Annual one, and I got to read Batman Annual, you know, number one, yeah. whatever it was. One thing I, I didn't like, I don't know how you felt, is I, I didn't think Tim did that was, well, not Tim's fault, but I don't think his detective skills were put to great use in this. I even remember reading it in 1992 when he hacks into Anarchy's computer and he guesses what the password is password or something. I remember groaning when I read it 22 years ago. (laughs) And even now I'm like, oh, really? Like, And so basically his detective work is just going on his computer and he figures out the bridge like 10 minutes after the bridge collapses. So it's... And then there's just some grain. Somehow grain has gotten into his apartment, and that's what he, he finds. And so the detective work was a little, to, you know, ugh, but um, overall, you know, it's a pretty good read. And it re- like you said, it reads fast, which is a good thing in a book this size. Um, I still, I'm looking here, I think it's page 18, uh, where he's holding the floppy drives. And going, man, I remember having a stack of floppy drives that I was having to keep, you know, papers on that I was writing. Or, yeah. you know, if I was saving a picture, I could only put one or two pictures on a floppy drive if it was really, <laughs> really yeah. big or something like that. And nothing was worse than when you were, like, typing a paper and then you go to save it and the, whatever the file was was too big for the floppy drive. And you're like, oh, no. And then you have to, like, cut the document into two parts so you could save it on one one or one or on the other. Yeah. Yeah. But, I do not miss those days at all. And I remember thinking, why, why can't I just get something that I could put this on? I could just store a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. If I could have come up with the flash drive right then, I'd have probably not be doing this podcast. I'd be owning Apple. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Spoilers, Tom and I talked about, because that's coming up since I already recorded that episode first. But uh, something I thought was cool in the Robin uh, miniseries, and it goes... Uh, hand in hand with this the story doesn't rely on Batman having to be in the book that Tim doesn't get too in over his head and he's you know pinned down I think in in other Batman stories if this was in the Batman book if Tim was trying to battle this dinosaur Batman would have had to come in and save the day and done something to you know, like, well, you'll do better next time, chum, that it's it's Tim that kind of figures out, you know, his little solar gun that he was using broke from the fall, 
So he knows, oh, well, there's a car that has, you know, solar headlamps, and maybe I can drive it. So this is the first time Tim is actually driving a car before he gets Redbird, um, which I want to kind of tag that into Tim's dad here real quick. But uh, I, I liked that, that, you know, Batman does make a small appearance in this annual, just like he did in Robin 1 and Robin 2, and then a little bit in Robin 3. But I think, like we were saying at the beginning of the show, that kind of shows the importance importance the popularity of tim that robin can be his own character and doesn't have to rely on batman to save his neck every time yeah definitely you know a couple things when he got on the bicycle it was like oh man he needs redbird and that's what made me think like you know i think this came out before the series because redbird was in issue one i remember that and i think that was cool but yeah it's it's really a robin story and batman's there but it's cool because Batman is just like, all right, well, you go check this out, and I'm going to check this out. Like, he, he really treats him like a partner, and uh, it doesn't have that whole cliche of, oh, this is too much for you. You're you're grounded, or, you know, oh, these Eclipso diamonds are, you know, uh, too much. You need to stay at the manor, and you're not allowed out, and then he's got to go out and save the day, or, you know, it's just really, like, straightforward, and it's like, Batman's like, yeah, these things are dangerous. Here's a flashlight, <laughs> you know? like it, So, yeah, from that aspect, you're right. I, that's definitely a... Um, a cool part about this story, it is a, a, a Robin story, and uh, Batman is like his supporting cast, not the other way around. Um, I like it in here that um, I'm looking at page 33, which is really odd to say in a comic book this yeah. size. Uh, but the panel with Alfred says apparently Anarchy has contacted the mayor again uh, with a further threat. Uh, apart from that, Master Bruce has made no progress. So that's even showing that Batman as at a spot where, well, he doesn't know anything either, so Tim is kind of like, oh, well, I guess I'm on the same playing field as Bruce. If he can't figure it out, you know, I guess that's okay for me to be in the same spot. And Tim's like, well, we'll just kind of have to wait and see, you know, if something else happens. So I just, I liked this. Like you said, it it's a Tim Drake Robin story. And it works that good. You don't kind of look at it and go, well, it was really missing Batman, you know. I didn't buy it because Batman was in the book. I bought it because, you know, Robin's right on the front cover. And I'm, I wasn't going, oh, gee, I hope, you know, Batman's in the book. But I would say that when I bought a Batman comic, I would go, gee, I hope Robin's in the book. Yeah. Um, this was a, a pretty quick read. There's... Uh, uh, the other thing I did want to point out is when Tim, he mentioned his bike. I thought, oh, there was something else I wanted to say. Uh, when Tim was riding his bike, um, it looks like he pulls the seat off, I think, and that's where his Robin costume was stored because he's not wearing a, a backpack or anything. He's riding the bike, and in the next panel, he has it in his hands, and it looks like, I don't know, maybe his hand's just resting on the seat, but I'm going, where did he pull the Robin costume out of? And I know I shouldn't yeah. be asking those things in a comic book, but that always makes me go, where did he have that? <laughs> yeah, because he didn't have it on underneath his clothes because he's wearing his clothes. Yeah. And he's got the flashlight. Does it look like uh, in the panel, it looks like on page 34, like there's a brown sort of satchel in the bike underneath the seat? Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing so, it now. So, something, let me see. Yeah, if you look on page 33, when he's riding past Orlando Miller's, it looks like he's got some kind of briefcase or satchel or something 
uh, in between his seat and the front tire. Oh, yeah. Maybe it was in there, I guess. So that's that's a good place to keep your superhero costume. Yeah. <laughs> right between your legs, because on your bike, because you never know when you're going to need it. Uh, poor guy couldn't even get like a little moped or something. <laughs> That's what I was always surprised of with uh, the Tim character. You know, he wouldn't get Redbird or be able to drive a car. Um, and this was going to tie into one of the last things I wanted to talk about with his uh, father. But he gets his driver's license early because of the medical needs of his father. Since he was going to be taking him back and forth to doctor's offices, he got granted a special permit. And uh, Bruce had said, you know, once you get your driver's license, you know, uh, I have a car for you, and then later we would find out that car is Redbird. That, uh, and early on in the Tim uh, Drake series, uh, Redbird could be converted from the Redbird into like a sports coupe. So it's kind of like a transformer and type. So Tim's driving around this red, you know, convertible, and then when he needed it to go fight crime, he'd kind of push some buttons and it would turn into Redbird, which I always thought was kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about was uh, Tim's dad here. Uh, going chronologically through uh, the story like we have been since the beginning of the podcast, uh, this is kind of one of the uh, early uh, discussions between uh, Tim and his dad of, you know, his dad is really glad that Tim has decided to move in uh, with him. They just recently bought the mansion that's uh, next door to Wayne Manor, which in, I can't remember what episode it was, but a few episodes back when Tim moves out of Wayne Manor and Alfred gives uh, Tim the newspaper of house listings and says, you know, you know, there is a, a place next door to uh, Wayne Manor. I remember thinking, well, how is Tim going to be Robin if he's not living in the Batcave? So mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool that they, you know, devised this tunnel that Harold had found that kind of ties the two mansions together so Tim could sneak out from his bedroom, go down into the cellar, and uh, go back and forth with, uh, forth between the caves. So um, this is kind of the early stages that we don't get much other than, like, two panels because Tim's dad is going on, uh, like, a medical retreat, I believe. So that kind of gets Tim's dad out of the way, but... Uh, that was something I always really liked about the Tim Drake character, but he still had a parent. And, uh, um, you know, how is Tim going to be able to, you know, sneak out of the house and go fight crime? And how is he going to explain to his dad of all the cuts and bruises and scrapes that he has? And all those will eventually catch up with him before too long. But uh, uh, I, I just like that, that uh, Grant and Lyle you just put a little bit of that in here, too, that they're we're still furthering that uh, relationship that's that's there uh, that it was obviously broken that Tim had spent so much time uh, away from his father and now that his father is you know uh, paralyzed his he's really reliant on his son and now it's kind of just as Tim is becoming his own person now he's kind of got to go back and uh, be a son again so I, I just liked that yeah, I always thought that was cool about Tim Drake, because um, it would have been easy just to kill both his parents. I mean, that was like the superhero cliche, kill the parents. Um, but um, having his father still there, but having his father disabled and needing extra medical help, and then the, it, it did uh, it worked really well for storylines for that, you know, Tim Drake having conflicting, you know, um, uh, people conflicting father figures. You know, Batman's a father figure, but so is his father. His father needs him. Batman needs him. He's got to explain to his father what he's doing. 
And um, that was really good. It's one of the reasons why I hated Identity Crisis when they killed uh, Tim Drake's dad. Uh, I just, that was just, ugh. Uh, but um, that's, I guess, a story for another time. Spoilers if you haven't read that. Sorry. <laughs> I should have said that first. But, yeah, I did not like them just killing off his father. That, I, that whole thing just left a bad taste in my mouth. But um, when I read that first that they bought that house and that there was a tunnel that led to the Batcave and he could go to the Batcave, oh, man, talk about, like, wanting to be Tim Drake. That is, like, even now more than ever, like, oh, man, imagine that if I could just go down my basement, <laughs> go in a tunnel, and I'd be in the Batcave. Like, it just, it added, like, a sense of realism, like, this could really happen. That could really be me in some <laughs> delusional way. Like, yeah, so as a kid, like, seeing it through Tim Drake's eyes and wanting to be Tim Drake and reading it like that, I was like, yeah, that was really cool. That was, that was a lot better than having both his parents killed and him just being a ward of, uh, you know, the Wayne or just hanging out in Wayne's house. So, um, yeah, definitely a great part. Yeah. What you were saying about, uh, identity crisis. Um, I, there was that part of, you know, Tim was trying to keep, uh, his secret identity is secret for so long, and then you know, spoilers will eventually get there at some point, where uh, Tim's dad finds the Robin costume and has a confrontation with Bruce, and then there's that time of where Tim and his dad, Tim ends up saying, you know, this is what I need to do, you know, I'm gonna be careful, and Tim's dad is is not okay with it, but understands what his son does, so that added a different dynamic to their relationship his dad wasn't real crazy about it but could understand what his son does and i thought well that's pretty cool and then identity crisis happens and you know they kind of kill him off or not kind of they they do so and that just turned tim just a little bit and then you have the death of superboy you know on top of all that so tim starts getting into this whole you know almost batman motif for a while that the light bright robin kind of gets a little bit cynical kind of like his mentor and i that was the only spot uh that i didn't really like that they took tim in i just would have rather kept you know uh his dad through the duration but yeah yeah so i think that is gonna wrap it up well hey i I did want to mention one thing before we wrap it up if that's okay yeah that's the artwork we haven't really talked about the artwork that much and the artwork i thought was pretty solid like there aren't a lot of like really pages where i'm like wow but there wasn't anything either where i was kind of like but the um there's a few really good classic like robin poses and you know um it seems at this point they they kind of got them down but I thought throughout the issue, the suit looked really good. The Robin suit, it's like at this point, they really got it down, and it looked like a combination of a costume and armor and something you would practical. And um, so just like looking through the panels and stuff, I thought the suit looked really good. And Anarchy looks really good, too. The way they, they drew Anarchy with his um, overlong red cloak and stuff, I thought was pretty good. What did you think of the art? Oh, I thought the art was great. Um, I think you and I had talked about it during uh, Robin 1 that it, I think they were still trying to figure out how how to write Tim and were trying to figure out all the nuances of the costume. And this really feels like uh, this is going to be the art style and a look of the costume uh, in the ongoing series once it gets started. And you can tell that the mask on Robin's face is green. I always used to think it was black for a while. I mean, you would get it when he's sitting here at the computer. You can kind of tell that it's, 
it's green and they've got the uh, the part of the suit I always liked once they kind of got it refined is the yellow outlining around the collar uh, where it's not just a straight black collar you have the uh, you know yellow highlights that almost kind of looks priest collarish a little bit but I've I always liked that about the uh, costume um, I thought anarchy looks great uh, there's not a lot of in some lesser artists, the red cloak would just look like a red blob, but uh, the way Lyle and uh, whoever's uh, Wag- is it Wagner here uh, that end up doing some of the interiors as well has just a lot of definition in the cloak, and you can kind of just see the different folds in the fabric. I thought that was really good. Yeah. And uh, even just some of the minor supporting characters, uh, some artists are like, okay, you know, I just want to draw the, the superhero part, but just the building layout and when uh, Tim is in the bookstore um, I thought was uh, drawn really well and even the tape machine that you kind of see that uh, the police department is using to try and uh, you know pinpoint where Lonnie is I I thought it was I thought it was really pretty good and you know that being said there wasn't a thing where I was like oh man this is fantastic it just just like what you said it's just more of a classic look for Tim Drake and there's uh, so many cool poses that they put Tim in that I just remember seeing in a lot of the Robin uh, titles. You know, I love the look of the ninja boots where it has like the split toe. Um, mm-hmm. I always kind of missed that when somebody else would draw the book for a while. They would just make it a, a normal boot. And I'm like, where's the ninja toe? I thought that was pretty cool. That kind of tied into the training he was getting for a while there. Just, I, I thought it was really, really good. Yeah, it doesn't have any of that self-doubt that they talked about like in the first book where he's like doubting himself. He's pretty straightforward. Um, but there's one thing I wanted to mention, too, which I thought was kind of funny. On the very end of page 39, Anarchy and Robin are up on like a tower together, and their solar devices aren't working. And um, Robin's basically got Anarchy. You could tie him up right there or take him down. And, and Robin says... On the next page, page 40, he goes, The girl was angry with this Cindy Turpin. The Eclipse of Beast has gone after her to satisfy that rage. I don't have time to deal with you now, Anarchy, but you haven't heard the last of me. And he just leaves Anarchy up there. like He doesn't have three seconds to knock him out or tie him up or hit him with a banger. But he's got time to like explain all about and mention Cindy Turpin by name and all that. So that part kind of cracked me up when I was reading it. So just knock him out and move on. You don't have to be the narrator here, but... <laughs> You know, that's uh, classic comic books for you. Well, and I like uh, Anarch's reply here. Uh, if you think uh, <laughs> I run from trouble, then you don't know me. And he's got his little grappling uh, hook here, uh, which yeah. I always thought was really pretty cool, that his cane also acted as his uh, uh, grappling hook, which I thought was really cool. And was his staff always kind of this, like, electric rod, too? Um I don't know. I'd have to read some more back issues. I forget. Um, I think it was. I think he knocked people out with it. I don't remember him like melting a statue like he does on page three. But for some reason, I I think it was like a stun gun or a taser. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking through some of the uh, pages here too. Um, I love the shot on uh, page four, the first uh, panel. Uh, you know, no words, no nothing. Just Robin kind of gliding through the uh, night sky just shortly after the statue's been uh, um, melted here. Yeah, and then the, the next panel where he's like 
have has one leg straight and the other one's bent and he's like coming off the rope that's that to me is like a classic robin from the 90s kind of look that's really good and even this shot on page six where he's coming down um after cutting uh, anarchy's line with his uh, robin r which i thought was pretty cool though little robin shuriken where he's got his cape kind of held in each arm and he's coming down with both uh, feet planted to the ground uh, just a really cool pose yeah i always like the robin r's i'm sure in real life that would probably not be aerodynamical and not be <laughs> a good uh, shape for a throwing device but I, I i what the heck it's comics you can go with it i like it and then one other thing sometimes you've done this too and there's a bunch so i can't do all of them but the ads i know you like to look at the ads the back page ad it cracks me up because it's for wwf back then it was before the wrestling it's like the rage in the cage and i used to watch some wrestling back then so i know it's i think it's jake the snake and or maybe it's the million dollar man with um, Macho Man Ray Savage, and they look more like they're about to make out than they are about to fight. <laughs> Did you get that impression too from the back? Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Well, I'm kind of down here. Why don't you just, you know, lean down and give me a little smooch here?" <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was like, "Wow, what kind of game is this?" Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's better be rated uh, M for mature. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure. I I never played this, but I had a buddy of mine. Uh, it was my next door neighbor. I'm sure he probably had this game and probably played the heck out of it. Uh, since you mentioned ads, there's a lot in here. I won't go through. Um, a lot of video games, yeah. A lot of video games. Uh, there was a couple cool ads, and I remember looking at this. Um, it's page 52. It's the uh, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, uh, Unleashing the Powers of the Mind. Uh, I remember looking at... Uh, this, these type of ads before and go, oh, this is DC Comics, a new ongoing series. I always wonder, you know, I'm, I'm sure I could probably look it up on Mike's Amazing World uh, like I do for a lot of my synopsis information. Um, but I would see things like this and go, I wonder if this is any good. And, you know, 20 some odd years later here, I think I'm answering my own question if it was any good. But yeah. at le- least from the art standpoint, I don't know who any of these characters are here, but it kind of looks cool and it might have been something I would have went, well, if I see it at a comic shop, I may pick it up. Did you ever um, pick up a book like that because of a Batman book or, you know, whatever type of book you might be reading and go, well, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll, I'll see what this is. Yeah. Especially back when they were only like a dollar or a dollar 50, a lot. Those, those in-house ads would get me all the time. I never picked up Peter Cannon Thunderbolt though, but I did, couple pages before that there was one for the heckler um and that series only lasted about six issues i think but i really like the heckler i think i i think i bought three issues of number one because i thought it was oh it's a number one um so um if you ever want one i can mail you one <laughs> but uh i i, I, I remember the heckler and it was funny yeah i i remember seeing ads for the heckler and uh my comic shop if nobody put any or expressed any interest in it they wouldn't you know, put it on the shelf, and that that could be for anything. It could be for a Superman title, and if nobody was really reading uh, that particular book, because it wasn't a real—I think I probably said it before—it wasn't a real comic book shop. They just sold comics in the back part of the store. So I was like, "Well, I never saw this at my comic book shop." Then I would go, "Well, it's not a real comic book shop." So yeah, I always wanted to read the Heckler, and I I can never find it anywhere. So yeah, I may take you up on the yeah. just just to see what it was like. 
And then, and then what's weird is the in the inside cover. So after the front cover, there's like the picture of a big cow. And when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, is this like an early Got Milk ad? And then it was, it's for some Final Fantasy Magic Quest. I was like, that is the worst ad ever because <laughs> who would even know that? Yeah. Yeah, I would not have picked that up from being Final Fantasy at all. Uh, there was one more L. Uh, my wife is a big fan of this. Pet Cemetery. There's Pet Cemetery oh, yeah. 2, August 1992. Back by popular demand. <laughs> I'm sure she probably saw that. That's one of the, you know, after you've been married for a while, uh, going through, like, your likes and dislikes and stuff, she's like, I like Pet Cemetery. I'm like, we've been married almost eight years, and you're dropping this bombshell that you yeah. like the Pet Cemetery? I, need to really I like the theme song by the Ramones. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, then the last ad I want to point out here is uh, Shift Happens, Top Gear. Yeah. I played this game and loved it to death. Uh, there was one that came out after this that was Top Gear 3000. And I think uh, that summer, I think it was 93, 94 when Top Gear 3000 came out. I think we wore of a TV out in my parents' back room with that game. We just played it over and over because it was one of those first car games where... The more you would race, you would get like prizes and winnings, and you could start upgrading your cars. And uh, if you won enough races, you can make them crazy fast, almost to the point where you really couldn't control. And if you could control the car, you'd win a race in like no time flat. So that's a game I've been trying. I let a, a friend of mine borrow it at work once I, you know, started getting one of my first jobs. I let him borrow it, and I he moved away, and I never saw that game again. So anybody out there have Top Gear three thousand? I would buy it off you because I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to find that game. And I just I can't find it. Did you have a uh, Atari Twenty Six Hundred growing up? Yes. Yep. Did you have the game ET? Yes. Yeah, worst game ever. Um, <laughs> I just saw Netflix has a, the whole documentary all about Atari and ET and how they buried ET and these people are. I haven't finished it yet, so I don't know if they find it or not. But they're doing like this archaeological dig. I want to say New Mexico or Arizona, somewhere out in the desert. Uh, trying to find these like lost copies of E.T. and it's it's really interesting. They do pretty much the whole history of Atari and the video game and how it crashed, and they got the guy on who designed E.T. and uh, all these people bashing it as the worst video game ever, which it was by far. <laughs> or, actually, no, it, it it was the worst video game of its time. The worst video game ever was Superman for the Nintendo 64. I don't know if you ever played that one. I was just going to say that. Yeah, we have to fly through the rings and then pick up... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that is the worst game ever. Horrible. But, yeah. I got through one stage. I think my cousin and I had bought a whole case of Surge. We're like, we're going to get through... Surge, there's a a drink for you. We're going to get through this level. And we flew through all those rings. And guess what? There's another set of friggin' rings you got to fly through. Yeah, and I remember him shutting it off and going, "This game sucks." Took yeah. the game and just tossed it out the window. I'm like, "Dude, that's my game." He's like, "You will never play this game again." <laughs> yeah, he. Um, if you ever get to see, there's a uh, YouTube. I don't know if it's on YouTube or what, but uh, it's, he's called the Angry Video Game Nerd. Um, he's he's pretty. Uh, He's got a lot of profanity, so if any of your other listeners who don't like that stuff, be warned. But uh, he reviews it. And first he reviewed the Superman for the Commodore 64. That was a good game. At the time, that was like a really good game. I had that for a different uh, system that was kind of like compatible with the 64. It was an Atari ST um, when Atari started to make computers. But um, 
that was good, but yeah, he, he plays the Nintendo 64 Superman for a long time, and just, you know, he, he's really funny, his bashing, and I'll have to send you the link, and um, yeah, you get through the rings, you have to get every ring in such a time, it's so hard to control it, and then you've got to pick up these two cars, and then if you pick up the two cars, and, but you only have like nine seconds to pick up the two cars, then you fly through more rings, and then you got to pick up more cars, and then it's more rings, and it's just, that's all the game is, you're Superman, but all you do is fly through rings, and it's impossible to control, yeah, I... Luckily, my friend and I, we rented it, I think, from Blockbuster and played it for about 90 minutes or so. And then I don't think we ever got to the cars. I think we just were in the rings. And then it was like, forget this. And good thing we didn't buy it. Yeah. I bought it. Um, it was towards the end of uh, the 64. So I had got it used from, I want to say, Blockbuster. And I think it was like three bucks. I thought, man, this yeah. is a steal. So I didn't feel so bad when my you know cousin chucked it out the window. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I paid for that game. It was three bucks. But yeah, I, I have, s- since that day, I always thought, well, I'll go back through and I'll play it. And it was like, what do you want to play? Goldeneye? Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do Goldeneye. But yeah, we had the Atari 2600 uh, growing up and played a lot of Breakout. And um, oh, Yar's Revenge was a game. Uh, I liked a lot. Um, there's a lot of cool games that every once in a while we'll go down to my parents' basement and we'll dust it off and we'll we'll play <laughs> every now and then. Yeah. I, go, I can't believe I was just playing Batman Arkham Origins like a couple <laughs> yeah. hours ago and I'm playing Pac-Man. <laughs> yeah. The uh, actually it's kind of funny you say that because the guy who designed Yar's Revenge is the guy who designed ET. Really? And they, I forget his name, but he's pretty interesting. And they they talk a lot about him and um, how he just he just tried to stretch it a little too far on ET, and it turned out to be an impossibly um, game game to even understand what to do, let alone play. But um, yeah, a lot, a lot of hours wasted in front of the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Yeah. Uh, that was a, a big thing we got it uh, we had set game time that we uh, could play and my parents had you know in the, in the evening when we went to bed and we could play you know just for a little bit before our homework and then at one point it was like oh you can play whenever but I remember dad would set a, a clock and then when the clock was you know the alarm went off it was like hey your playing time's done I remember going it was so fast dad's like you gotta play for 15 minutes <laughs> Like back in the Atari Twenty Six Hundred days, there's there's no save point, so it's like I got to go through all this again. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to remember what the game uh, was. It Jungle Hunt that uh, you would swing over the pits of like Pitfall. Pitfall. That was Pitfall. Yeah. yeah, loved that game. And I would then, always fall in that alligator's mouth. I could never do that. Yeah. And then my sister had the wonderful idea. She's like, I wonder if you can run backwards. Yeah. You can run backwards through it. I thought that was like finding, you know, the the hole to China. It's like, you can go backwards through the game. (laughs) I love Pitfall, too, because you could go in like a tunnel underneath it and run. But then eventually you'd hit a wall, so you'd have to go back. And yeah. Yeah. Great. That one in Indiana Jones. I used to play the heck out of Indiana Jones. Yep. Uh, There was a couple good Star Wars games. There was one that was... um, Kind of like a, a proto like lightsaber type of battle where you had to. It's kind of like from A New Hope when he has the. He's in the Millennium Falcon fighting like the the drone that ends up shooting him in the butt. You had that little kind of thing going on. 
Mm-hmm. wasn't too bad, but yeah, you're just uh, talking about, you know, seeing the Star Wars trailer, now we're talking about a Atari, Atari 2600. Ah, it just kind of brings my childhood back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has been uh, a really cool conversation tonight, Terrence. Thanks for coming on to the show. Um, I would definitely like to have you back on again. Hopefully it won't be a long of a, a gap this time. I know things were kind of crazy for you for a while, and I'm sure... Uh, school's going to be wrapping up for you here before too long, I would imagine. Yeah, not too long here, but yeah, but thanks for having me on. I can't wait to talk to you about some Nightfall because that's that's a a classic. That's that's going to last for you know a long time. <laughs> well, so yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Cool. Well, thanks a lot, everybody. Uh, this is going to wrap up episode twenty-four, and uh, coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, Tom Panneries from uh, Taking Flight will be here to talk Robin 3, Cry of the Huntress, and that's going to be end of Phase 2 for me. And Phase 3 starts Batman Nightfall. So we've got that coming up in about a month or so, uh, the first early uh, stages of that. So uh, you can look forward to that. And uh, I'll have some special guests, including the guy that you were just uh, hearing talk here. And I think I'm also going to reach out to Dustin from the Batman universe and get him on here at some point as well. So thanks, Terrence, for uh, stopping by. It's great to have you on, as always. And we will see you guys in a couple weeks. Take care. Thanks for listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, and I am making no money from it. Much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips, as they have their own copyright holders as well. You can now find this podcast on iTunes and Windows Media as well. There you can rate and leave a comment to the show and subscribe. I hope that you do. You can also find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. You can send a message there as well. If you'd like to email, you can do so by sending me one at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's R as in Robin, 10myers at yahoo.com. And I'll read your emails on the air. Make sure that you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.